This is episode number 217, Athlete Parenthood Series presented by Wahoo Fitness with myself and my husband, Matt Iwanis. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. The whole concept of growth and progression and growth mindset for me came through cycling and endurance training. I had this fixed mindset of once you hit a certain age, you're done. Like as a power sport athlete, by the time you're in your late 20s, it's over. Like you hit 35 and you're this old, decrepit person. But the concept of growth mindset was really driven home to me as an endurance athlete because you could build systems over time. And friends, I always look forward to this episode. The Parenthood series drops once per month, usually the first week of every single month. And it's just a great time for Matt and I to sit down and talk about what we've been up to as parents, how we manage our time, how we're managing our mindsets, and kind of whatever else comes up. Thank you to those of you who have been sharing the show on social media by posting in your Instagram stories. That's super awesome. And we also are pumped whenever you can share the show with your friends, because if it's bringing you value or you're finding it entertaining, hopefully others and your friends will as well. Big thank you to those of you who are supporting my work on Patreon and PayPal with your donations. Really, really appreciate that. And we could not absolutely could not do this without you. If you want to sign up for that and just throw a couple bucks a month at the show, you can go to sonyalooney.com slash podcasts. And we also do one-time donations. Another interesting thing that I've been doing is there's an app called Cameo. And basically, you can have celebrities, which is funny. I don't really consider myself a celebrity, but you're going to have celebrities give shout outs to your friends. And people have been booking me on Cameo to just give funny messages and shout outs. And you can see examples of what I've done on there. And that's Cameo. And last, before we get into the show, if you haven't signed up for my newsletter, it's sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. And I put a lot of time and attention to create exclusive content there where I write a thought of the week, things like, what is the optimal amount of challenge in order to get better? And why do I, why, why am I struggling with that? Or things like different things that I've learned from books. I even write about the books that I'm reading that week. I share the podcast of the week and I also give a journal prompt. So that's sonyalooney.com slash newsletter for a fun experience getting fun things delivered right to your inbox every Sunday. In today's episode, we talked about lots of different things. We talked about breastfeeding and the additional caloric need that you need as an athlete, especially as your baby gets bigger and how that can impact your performance. Super important to the mamas out there who want to compete and breastfeed at the same time. We talked about mental toughness. We talked about confidence as it relates to fitness. We talked about habits and the structure of racing and how having an end goal is what gives life meaning. And that's why a lot of times it can be really hard whenever we don't have end goals that we usually are training for. We also asked Matt how he prevents himself from hitting the snooze button every morning Bradley usually sleeps till seven o'clock, although recently he hasn't been, but Matt wakes up at 545 every single morning to get on his bike. And I've never seen him hit the snooze button once. And we also talked about growth coming from struggle and how important that is and how we're relating that to parenthood. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I always think it's a really special treat to get to sit down with Matt and share this experience and these podcasts with him. If you have 
any feedback or if you have any questions that you want us to address in next month's episode, go to sonyalooney.com and you'll see a contact form or you can just send me an email at sonya at sonyalooney.com. All right, let's get into it. All right, so I'll set the scene. Last time we had a beautiful bottle of Michael David wine, and this time we have two large teacups, the kind that are glass with a double wall to keep your tea warm. What kind of tea are you drinking there, Matt? I'm drinking hibiscus tea. How come? Because it has the maximum amount of antioxidants, I believe, per serving more than green tea, more than other teas, and it's herbal, so... Or herbal, if you say herbal. Like I was I surprised. I was, you're speaking American. <laughs> What's happening? Uh, yeah. So it's a nice tart drink. It's, it gives you that kind of special drink feeling, and it's super healthy for you. Yeah, and it also is has been shown to help lower blood pressure. Yes, that's a very good point. And I'm all about lowering blood pressure. And I'm drinking licorice tea, which is my favorite. I don't really know any health benefits of it. I just really like it. And it doesn't taste like black licorice, but... The water kind of gets almost creamy, which sounds weird, but I really just love the flavor and it's not recommended to drink licorice herbal tea whenever you're pregnant. So I just, that was the the thing I actually missed the most was getting to drink that every night because it's my tea of choice. That's pretty cool. You can have a delicious drink and have some cool health benefits along the way. It's always like we both kind of seek out those win-win-win scenarios where you have flavor and something special and is healthy at the same time. Yeah, so thanks so much for all of your feedback for these episodes with Matt and I. It really means a lot to us that these just conversations that we're having are helpful to you and that they're fun for you to listen to. And Matt and I look forward to sitting down and recording these podcasts. Super fun. It's a great thing to do at the end of our day, even sometimes when you're tired. That's right, which is most of the time, but... (laughs) That doesn't have to be a bad thing. Not at all. All right. So one of the biggest things, and I mentioned this in our last episode, that I have been struggling with is energy management as a mom whose son, our son, it's a little weird to say my son, but he's going to be seven months old in about a week, which is crazy how fast the sixth month went by. But I was struggling with energy on my bike, and it's been going on since probably mid-August, And there's been days where I feel good and there's most of the days where I don't feel good. And it was kind of a weird type of fatigue and there are different types of fatigue on the bike, but this type of fatigue was the kind where your legs don't really hurt and you don't really feel like muscle tiredness, but you just feel like you're underwater or you feel like you're going to fall asleep on your bike. And typically when you have that type of fatigue, it could be two things or three things. It could be lack of sleep. It could be hormonal, adrenal or it could just be lack of calories. And I thought that I had increased my caloric intake, but it just wasn't working. I still wasn't feeling very good. And I would go out on my rides and I was doing a really good job of being just mindful, not having judgmental thoughts towards myself on the ride. And this is, I guess I'll just go into what that's like and how we can navigate that because people that anybody has this happen. If you go out for a ride and your expectations are just are not met and it happens day after day and then a frustration starts to brew and that's normal because you care you care and you want to feel good and you want to do the thing that's really fun so I was starting to get frustrated and I would just have to say to myself I've actually recorded a podcast with Dr. Kristen Neff who is one of the main researchers in the field of self-compassion but 
You talk to yourself like you are talking to a friend and you would never say mean things to yourself. I mean, mean things to a friend like you say to our, yourself, like our own voice can be the most critical voice out there. So instead of letting myself go on these tirades and ruminations of like, what does it mean? Or, or like, oh, I'm so bummed. Like, oh, this sucks. And sometimes I get frustrated on the days that I do feel good that I only get to ride my bike for an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes because I, I miss the days of being able to just go out and ride for as long as I want. And sometimes there that, that voice comes in my head that starts to complain about that. And I think that the mindfulness piece is number one, being aware of whenever you start thinking those thoughts, because sometimes you you get lost in a thought loop and you don't even realize that you've started. So if I find myself and I, I try and catch it immediately, I find myself going down that path. I just say, no, I don't, I don't allow it. I stop it in its tracks and I practice self-compassion saying things like, it's okay, you're doing the best that you can. And it's not that you don't allow those feelings in, feelings of frustration or whatever you want to label your own feelings, but it's just, you don't have to turn it into something that has to ruin the ride or it doesn't have to become the main feature presentation of your life. And the thing that I noticed is when I would get home, and Matt would be like, oh, how's your ride? And I would be really cool and calm about it on my ride. But then whenever Matt asked me about it, I would find myself, all those feelings would come crashing back in and I would be so disappointed. Like, oh, I... and one of the days I came back in, this was about a week ago. And I just said, that's it. I can't do it. I can't do this. I'm unable to do, take on all the things that I've been trying to take on, like trying to work and manage all my my businesses and trying to still train every single day and be mostly you know, a full-time mom. And it just felt like way too much. And it just felt like way too much because I just was felt like I was failing at everything and I was exhausted and I wasn't having fun on my bike rides. And I kept going out every day, just hoping that that would be the day where I would feel good on my bike. And Matt was, has been a really great sounding board. And he's been somebody that is able to look more objectively because whenever your feelings are in it, and also if you are you know, if you're in a fog, whether it is from lack of sleep or hormones or calories or all of the above, it's hard to be objective and see things as they are. So Matt had suggested to me that, hey, look, like we talked about calories for breastfeeding. And I don't know if we actually talked about it in detail on the last episode, but I'll just recap it really quick. So basically, if you're breastfeeding, the recommendation is that you're supposed to eat about 500 calories more per day to accommodate making breast milk. But that is a blanket recommendation, much like a lot of the blanket recommendations that are made during pregnancy for exercise. So that recommendation is making an assumption that, number one, you're only breastfeeding for a short period of time because the caloric needs of the baby are far more than 500 calories once the baby gets big enough. It also makes an assumption that you have excess maternal body fat, which many do and I did at first. But whenever you're exercising at a really high level and eating a really clean diet, that maternal body fat dissipates really quickly with additional caloric burn of breastfeeding. So I learned from my dietitian friend who just wrote a book called Nourish that comes out next month about it's all about plant-based, bringing up your kids plant-based. But I was talking to her and I, I know I mentioned this in the last episode. So this is for the people who haven't heard this yet. She said that that 500 calorie recommendation wasn't actually correct for me. And my, my dietitian friend is Brenda Davis. And she sent me, I wanted to see some some research about this. So she sent me some studies just showing the caloric needs of babies because there aren't, I don't know if there are any studies with breastfeeding moms who are exercising 10 to 20 hours a week. 
at the elite level even. So the caloric need of the baby is 120 calories per kilogram of the baby's body weight. So if you have a 20 pound baby, I know I just said kilograms, but a 20 pound baby needs about 1100 calories per day. And even after you've introduced solid foods, which many people do around the six month mark, the baby's main source of calories is still coming from breast milk if you are breastfeeding. So if the baby needs like 900 calories or a thousand calories from you and you're burning a thousand calories on your bike ride and you have a muscular body with a higher resting metabolic rate and you're taking care of your baby running around carrying around your 20 pound baby. And then there's the energy cost of recovering from your ride and the energy cost of just making the breast milk itself. We did a calculation together and calculated that I actually need over 4,000 calories per day. 4,000 calories per day. It's interesting or actually crazy to watch. It's when you're eating a, a clean diet. I mean, we eat a clean whole foods plant-based diet, but even if you just eat a whole foods diet, period, it's so hard to get 4,000 calories because you're not eating really dense calorie foods. So you, you try to do things like eat lots of nut butters and seeds. Uh, one of the go-tos for Sonia has been smoothies. There's a great smoothie uh, called the Gym Rat Smoothie from oh, she glows. oh She Glows, her first cookbook. And so we double that one, add a bunch of extra stuff, and you know you can get a thousand calories in there. It's all really clean and healthy, but it's hard. It's really hard to eat that much. Now, if you're bigger, I'm, I'm much bigger than Sonia is. It's a little easier for me to get that kind of calories in because I'm used to eating more. But obviously, I don't need to burn the extra, <laughs> the extra two thousand calories or whatever the number is. So yeah, it's it's really been interesting for me to watch from the outside because Sonia will say, "Well, you know, I'm just eating lots of food, and I, and, and I think I'm doing okay." and and I'm watching and I'm going, I just don't think that you're able to get that many calories in. But we didn't really want to count calories per calorie because that becomes tedious and um, and even become problematic about having a healthy relationship with food. So Sonny was just trying to do her best to get as much extra, add an extra snack in, add an extra meal. But she just wasn't coming out of the hole. So she was in this kind of fatigue hole. So we took it a bit more seriously and started, uh, you know, calculating the caloric calories per serving of each of the meals we're making because we make everything from scratch and there isn't a package you can look at to say this is how much your dinner was you have to go through and do all the the background math so we started doing that and realized that 25 to 2600 calories is a lot for Sonia to eat and to get to that 4000 mark if she doesn't stay on it and she gets behind by noon it's almost impossible to get back up to the the number she needs by the end of the day yeah and it requires like food being pre-made and, and I mean, this, even if you're not like a mom or a breastfeeding athlete, like if you're an athlete, period, and you find you're not getting enough calories, like this applies to you. Like you just need to have more food pre-made. You have to know kind of ace in your back pocket. What is that? What is that big calorie item I can have that's going to be healthy calories? Because ideally we want, we don't want to be nutritionally bankrupt. If we have to just eat whatever you can, but it's better to eat, you know, calories that actually have nutrient value to them. So yeah, it's tough. And it was really helpful to, because I hate the tedium of, I don't even know if tedium is a word, but I hate sitting down and trying to like calculate how many calories are in one meal and then, you know, that we made and then trying to figure out how many servings and like just all day, every day. And back in the day, this is like, it was on the opposite end of the spectrum before I was a cyclist and all this, you know, I'd read Women's Health Magazine and I was obsessed just like a lot of other teenage girls about losing weight and being skinny and trying to look like the girl on the cover of the magazine and just a really unhealthy relationship with food and body image. 
And I would try and eat 1200 calories a day back then. And it was almost impossible. And I just had a really unhealthy relationship with food and counting calories and writing down the calories I was eating would trigger me and I would like binge eat and it just was really bad. So it's a really weird thing to be writing down calories, trying to get as many as I possibly can. And I'm just so thankful that I told Matt, like I like most of the things that we do, we're, we're pretty good at just like we can just do them. But I needed the help from him and the accountability from him to sit down with me to make sure that I was doing it. Because for weeks, I thought that I was doing it and I was just sort of doing it in my head. But I just would have like maybe one or two days a week where I felt okay on my bike. And the rest of the time, like there are days I turned around after five minutes of riding just because it was just I just knew it wasn't going to work out. So the long story long, it's been great eating that 4000 calorie mark has been has really helped and made a big difference in the last week. The problem and the challenge is that when you are doing all the things that I'm doing and sometimes, you know, your baby is a little bit needier and it's harder to eat. So some days it's actually incredibly difficult to have time to eat that many calories. So making that that smoothie, um, I also have a similar recipe in my Plant Powered Tribe cookbook. It's a chocolate version of that smoothie with cocoa powder. But that, yeah, that I've been having that be my go-to. So having pre-made food, having a couple things in the back of your mind, even having like healthier versions of cookies and bars and things like that, which I was eating a lot of earlier in, when Bradley was really young. I just kind of burned out on those things. So, and then also something that I've been doing is setting an alarm for 10 o'clock in the morning because I need to eat my second breakfast, just like a hobbit at 10 a.m., <laughs> And the reason why I'm sharing this, and because it's a little bit uncomfortable to talk about because there's a lot of people that I've seen, they're like, oh, like you're so skinny. And, you know, not all moms have this, like, I don't want to call it a problem, but this challenge and this lifestyle. And, and there are many that do. But if I was trying to race right now, I would be totally screwed. Like I was fitter and faster when my son was three months old. And now it's like, I'm just barely crawling out of a hole. I did my first interval workout today in a long time and I was still able to put up some good numbers. So I haven't lost too much fitness, but man, like how frustrating would that be to be trying to race and not knowing that I'm undercaloried and then just like feeling like crap and not performing and, you know, traveling with the family, like it just would have been so bad. So I'm so glad that I had this opportunity to learn this. And I just really wanted to share this with other athlete moms who might be going through this or might have plans to race after they're having their baby just so they know because nobody told me about this. Yeah, I think a couple of things are interesting. One, again, recovery from having the little guy and then getting back into being able to ride regularly. And then when he's so little, he's not burning that many calories. So around that three month mark after he was born, you were back to being able to train really hard, really efficiently, and you were super strong, super fit. But as he got bigger and you start burning through those excess maternal stores, you start getting excited. Everyone does, oh, great, I'm getting back to like race weight and race fitness, and this is awesome. And you just don't, and you're full and you feel good. You just don't realize that every single week, this little guy's getting bigger and having a bigger calorie demand and a bigger calorie demand and a bigger calorie demand. And you just sort of wake up a month or two later going, wow, I'm, I've been wrecked for six weeks. What's going on? Like I've... I'm recovered. I've been training. I should be good. So it kind of sneaks up on you. And I think it's, if you'd known in advance, you could have prepared yourself to be eating more sooner. Like I'm sure everyone's excited to start losing the maternity, you know, extra weight you gained during pregnancy and all those things. And you don't need to rush into changing your diet. But if you were aware sooner, I think you would have avoided that sort of big 
so almost six week period of just feeling, you know, ground down. And then it's hard emotionally because you're, you're tired, you're fatigued and you just, life is just a bit more challenging when you're, when you're exhausted. Yeah. So I was happy to learn that I'm not actually failing at everything, (laughs) (laughs) but I was prepared. I told Matt, like, I'm going to come on the podcast and I'm going to, I'm going to put my hand up and say, look, like I can't do it all. And you know, there are limits and you just have to accept where you're at and you have to do the best with what you can. And you have to rely on people that, that like I'm relying on Matt to help guide me whenever I'm having a hard time and ask the experts and just try and decode what's going on. Because I think that in this world of Instagram and social media, and this is always demonized, like, oh, the social media, everybody's always making it look easy and beautiful and filtered. I think social media has a lot of amazing merits, but I think it's really important. And it's part of my core values to be vulnerable and to share what it's actually like, because I don't want anybody listening to this thinking like, oh, it's so easy. And what's wrong with me? It's not easy for me if it's not easy. So yeah, I'm just excited to be able to share it. But it's also hard to share because it isn't as picture perfect as it seems. But we do the best we can every single day. We commit to showing up every single day. And if that means turning around after five minutes, going home and talking to your husband and being like, what's wrong with me? I can't do this anymore. Maybe I should just quit. You know, those thoughts have run through my head. There's self-doubt. There's there's challenges. But that's what it means to be pushing yourself. And most people listening to this podcast enjoy, you know, finding the outer limits and and figuring out what you're made of. And whenever you're doing that, you're going to have days where you feel like you're failing. You're going to have days where the challenges feel insurmountable. And the people you surround yourself with and the things that you say to yourself when it gets hard are the really important things that help you keep going. And I think that's actually a good definition of mental toughness. Like mental toughness isn't not feeling burnt out, not feeling fatigued, not feeling upset, not feeling like you let yourself down, not feeling like you gave up that one time for that one workout or, or whatever that project you were working on. Mental toughness is feeling all those things, processing them and showing up again the next day or the next week or whenever that moment is and realizing that sometimes you hit roadblocks and that means you have to take a step or two back. So, yeah, I think the cultivation of mental toughness isn't to be like this perfect Terminator mentality of like, (laughs) (laughs) nothing will stop me. It's, well, sure, you can have that mentality of nothing will stop me, but you're still going to feel disappointment and doubt and all those things. And it's just not letting that bog you down. And the way to prevent that from bogging you down is optimism. And optimism isn't one of those quotes that make you feel good. And certainly I love good quotes, but that's not what optimism is. Optimism is staying in it even though it's hard, knowing that it's going to get better and knowing, and that's why you keep showing up because you know, deep down, it's going to get better and it's going to get better. I'm just got to, I just got to stay in a little bit longer and it always does. So I think that that is something just to keep in mind when you're trying to do hard things, because man, like there are times where it doesn't feel like it's going to come around and you just have to keep going, looking for that light. I've got a bit of a a change of topic, but I've, (laughs) I wanted to get your feedback on parenting and the reference of parenting to being like climbing Mount Everest or being this incredibly difficult challenge and the sort of narrative around the difficulty of being a parent. Yeah. So I don't feel like being a parent is hard, like, you know, climbing Mount Everest or doing things like that. But I do think that optimism and the narrative that you in the self-talk that comes around being a parent does affect your experience because all of our thoughts create our reality. And 
we were talking about this with somebody like we had a friend and he said, well, it seems like it's either people are always saying, oh, get you know, your life's over. You're never going to have any more freedom and just all the negative things people say. Or there's the people that are like, this is amazing. This is so awesome. And we're in the camp of saying this is amazing. This is so awesome. And I said to him, well, what do those people focus on? It's I could sit there and I could focus on all the things that are hard about parenting and all the things I've had you know, I have to give up or have had to change. And it would seem like a really negative experience. Or I can go around and say, look at all of these amazing things. Look at all these opportunities that I've had to grow as a person. And there has been a lot of great things that I've learned about myself this year that Bradley has taught me. Same for Matt. So really climbing Mount Everest is, I I haven't done it, right? (laughs) But like taking on challenges, it's up to you how you want it to seem. And that's why it's important to just look for the good things. And it doesn't mean that the hard moments don't exist. Like Bradley, for the first time, had like a, a really hard night last night. He woke up at 1230 in the morning and he was screaming and he was inconsolable. And, you know, he, he just wasn't feeling well. So that was hard. That wasn't an easy moment. But knowing again that that's going to pass and that it's an opportunity and it's a privilege to get to be there to help him. It's just how you want to view parenting. I agree. I think that there's... Um, and we're so new in this journey, it's really hard to make these comments. And not that everyone's journey is 100% relevant and true to them. So it's not like one person's experience trumps the others. Uh, maybe a bad choice of word there. But I think the reality is we've we've been parenting for a relatively short amount of time. But I think those thought processes and challenges never end. And I'm sure that that my parents look at me and still think about the challenging things that they might have to do with our relationship as a parent. Like, I don't think you ever really figure it out, but it's a journey and it hopefully doesn't end and you enjoy it and as much as you can and you grow along the way. Yeah. I mean, I honestly think that this is the easy part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he just true. started crawling. So he's just starting to implement his will. But, you know, we haven't had to deal with anything hard yet when it comes to our son. Like it doesn't feel like it anyway. So Maybe in some ways I'm not qualified to talk about that, but I do know that the mindset and the things that I've worked on and that Matt's worked on and many of you have worked on over the years to become the best version of ourselves apply not only to sports, but also apply to daily life and to parenting. And that's why we love sports, because they make us a better person. And competing is what brings out those opportunities to look yourself in the mirror and say, who am I and what am I about and how am I going to deal with challenges when they're handed to me? That's right. And that's another conversation about, you know, healthy competition and all kinds of good stuff. But I'll leave that one alone. Okay. So I wanted to ask Matt. So some of these things I'm bringing up, we got to ride our bikes together last weekend and we we actually both felt good on that day. So that was amazing. And we were just talking and I was trying to like record them in my phone so I could bring them back up again. And this always happens. I always take notes in my phone on rides and then I'm like, what the heck was I, did I mean by that? But We were talking about like when we feel most confident and Matt was talking about confidence related to fitness. So I'll hand you the ball on that one. All right. So yeah, we were talking about just like what it means to be fit and how you feel when you're fit. And for me personally, when I'm like really fit, that's when I feel the best about myself. I feel the most confident. And I think that might be, everyone's got a different relationship to physical activity and how it makes them feel. But that deep fitness makes me feel great about myself. I just, I don't know what it is, but just emotionally, mentally, and physically, of course, I I feel great. And that doesn't have anything to do with coming first in a race or, or winning something. It has nothing to do with that. It actually has to do with being able to push myself 
physically, whether again, it's playing a, a power sport or explosive sport or endurance sport, being able to push myself really hard and just enjoying the feeling of the pain, like, and maybe pain's even the wrong word, but the, the extreme discomfort that you can feel at the edge of your ability when you know you're completely pushing yourself to the limit. When I'm at my fittest, that is a place of joy as well as a place of discomfort. And that's why I think many athletes that, like most athletes when you go to a race, aren't pros. And most pros don't win because only one person wins, right? And there's a small group of racers that win more frequently. So then why does everyone else show up to these things? So there's the community part and, all, and there's all kinds of good reasons. But I think one of the reasons is that there's age groupers that are there when they're 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and even 80, is that even when you're older, you can be in that deep vein of fitness relative to yourself and have that sense of joy for the, your performance. And that might not be relative to anyone else. And even relative to the 25-year-old you, you're probably way slower when you're the 50-year-old you, but you still can have that passion for pushing yourself and feeling that. So two questions about that. What about when you're out of shape and it doesn't feel good and like that effort isn't a joyful thing when you're not fit? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I have to say for me personally, every athlete's a little bit different in how well they know their body and how well they know themselves. And for me, it's been a journey from an endurance athlete perspective of how hard can I push myself until things explode dramatically <laughs> and spectacularly. I picked up the pieces all over the world. <laughs> Many times. And for the record, most of the time I'm not super fit. So there's been multiple explosions in multiple countries. It's uh but anyway, so I enjoy Wait, wait, I'm gonna interrupt because you can be fit, really fit, and just still mismanage your race pace, especially at endurance races. Yeah, so some of the cratering in fairness has nothing to do with my lack of fitness, just lack of ability to execute a race plan well. Fair point. But so I would say, I don't know, I think there's just a, there is something fun about seeing where your limit is and on that day what that limit is. And I don't know, everyone's got a different view of that. I know there's some people out there that train like crazy and they're super fit and they log everything and they're like, got all kinds of fancy programs and they're measuring calories and they go to a race and they just quit halfway through because things aren't going the way they want them to. And then there's somebody like me who will sign up for a race because they really want to go and do this amazing adventure. Maybe not put the effort in that they should have because of reason A, B, and C, but be like, screw it. I'm still going to go do this seven day race and just flog myself into the dirt. And sometimes that also ends up with cratering, but often it doesn't. Often you get through it and it's, it's fun. And you do put in like work sometimes when you haven't put in the work needed for that particular event. Cause you know, Matt goes to the same events that I go to and he does the same events and he might not have the same amount of time to prepare for these really, really long events. So he just is like, screw it, I'm going anyway and I'm just going to show up and do it. And this is a really big deal because Matt almost didn't race bikes at all because whenever you're a really high level athlete and something else, it's hard to show up and suck at something. So he was a, a really incredibly high level basketball player. And he told me that, well, yeah, you can just tell the story about that. Yeah, I think you just, your ego gets in the way and you're like, oh, it'd be so embarrassing if I can't be one of the better, I mean, you don't, you don't think you're going to be the best, but I want to be competitive and not be just pack fodder or be a punter. That is, would be so embarrassing. So that stopped me from really riding my bike as a sort of after university sort of getting going in my career. Cause I thought, you know what? 
I haven't done this in a long time. I'm going to suck and I'm too embarrassed to be out there. But once I got over that, I met some great people and they said, hey, you know, just come out for a ride. They showed me around and I literally didn't know, like, when do you stand up when you're riding a bike? When do you sit down? Like, I didn't know any of those things. I just went out and asked questions and had fun and, and left my ego at the door and got my head kicked in and a bunch of group rides. And, and I left it at that and it was fun. Lo and behold, the next year I showed up in those group rides and I'm like, oh, I'm actually keeping up with the, the faster group now and learned how to train and all those things. And all of a sudden you're not where you thought you'd be. And it, the whole concept of growth and progression and growth mindset for me came through cycling and endurance training. Cause I, I had this fixed mindset of once you hit a certain age, you're done. Like as a power sport athlete, by the time you're in your late twenties, it's over. Like you hit 35 and you're this old decrepit person. But the concept of growth mindset was really driven home to me as an endurance athlete because you could build systems over time. So that was really, really, really helpful. But how did you said that oh, I just got over it and I got started? But how did you do that? Because that's not like a really easy thing. I don't know. Like, I think that I can look at lots of times in my life where you just sort of have to look yourself in the mirror and say, what is more important to me, my ego or this experience that I want to have? And for some people, they, I guess maybe they can't decide that. Maybe their ego is too important to them. But I think I was able to say, you know what? I will leave what other people think of me alone. And I will do this for me and only me. It won't be to impress someone else. It won't be because I want to look a certain way. It's because I enjoy doing this. And I think that's why I still go to bike races. That I, you know, When Sonia and I first met, I was training a lot more. And we were way more similar in speed. So we, when we ran to the same races, we raced close to one another. And I think as time has gone by, I haven't put the work in. And I go to races with the mindset of, I used to be this fast. And then you go to these races and you kick your own head in, which is also maybe not the best thing. But that doesn't mean I still don't want to go to the race and still have fun and, and just show up. So, and again, because I'm not doing it so I can get on a podium or win a medal or keep up with somebody, even my wife, as much as I would like to. It's because I want to do it for me and I love it. Yeah, I think that that's so important. Because a lot of times we're so fixated on the outcome of our goal. If, you know, a really easy example is the race. The goal is like, I want to get this time or I want to finish in this position. But you can't control that at all. Like, you can control your actions, but you can't control what other people are doing. You can't control the weather. You can't control if something goes wrong on your bike that day. Like, things just happen. So the beautiful thing about racing and goals, and I think this is the thing that is hard for people this year with COVID-19 and not having these goals to train for, is that the person that you become every single day and the identity that gets carved in every single day when you're training to do one of these things, going for that goal, it has so much meaning and it has it brings confidence and it brings structure to your life. So it's really hard sometimes whenever you don't have that end goal that you're training for. Because the, the race itself is just the icing on the cake. It's what you do every single day in preparation for that that helps define who you are and what's important to you. And like, it just, it's an identity piece. And James Clear is coming on this show. I think I already recorded it. It's um, in a couple of weeks, but he wrote this book that we both love called Atomic Habits. And I've been a huge fan of his work since he started writing, probably in 2012. But his thing is like identity based habits. So if you want to create a new habit, think about what would somebody that has that habit already, what, what are they doing? So like somebody who is a fast cyclist, like what would they be doing every single day? And then 
aspire to do that instead of trying to label yourself fast, try to label yourself as I'm somebody who does these things to make me fast. Yeah. One of the things that uh, stood out in the book for me is he had this really interesting chart about goals and goal setting. And in picture a, a like a bullseye with a few rings coming out of it. And the outer ring has, and this is in relation to setting goals and one and achieving your goals. And the outer ring, which would be the weakest way to set a goal was just to say, in your brain, I want to do this. Then the next way to do it might be to write it down. So now you're thinking it, and next ring inside is writing it down. The next one inside there, increasing likelihood of good outcomes is thinking it, writing it down, and then telling someone, being public about it. But the biggest way you can achieve a goal is to believe that your identity is tied to that. So if you are someone who is a bike racer, you're someone who gets up, works out, watches their diet, sleeps well, because that's who you identify as. If you're someone who just wants to go and do a bike race, you may not put the same level of effort in. So it's trying to get that sense of identity attached to whatever outcome. And again, this might be, I'm a financial planner. I'm the type of person who is a financial planner, invests in their education, cares about their clients, works long hours, goes to conferences, whatever that may be. If that is my identity, I'm much more likely to invest the time and the effort to be successful than I'm just someone who wants to go to work and, you know, maybe receive an award or something. Yeah. So I think this is a good time to ask you because you get up at 545 every morning to ride your bike. <laughs> I've been getting up at 545 every morning too, because Bradley <laughs> suddenly has decided that's when he's getting up as well. <laughs> so when that alarm goes off though, there's lots of people that have their alarm set early in the morning and they just keep hitting snooze and maybe they don't get up at all. And I'm saying that because that generally is me when it comes to early morning training. I'm not a morning person. I don't like getting up early. It does help to have a cute little squishy baby face smiling at me at that, <laughs> at that time. And That's not me. That's Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I'm always so impressed with Matt because he just gets up and he goes and he gets on his bike. So I asked him today, like, how do you not hit snooze? Like, you just get up every day when that alarm goes off. Like, how do you overcome that resistance? I think initially I just realized, and I, I've tried the snooze thing before, but I realized that each time I've hit snooze, I probably felt worse when I had to get up. So it was kind of like ripping the bandaid off. If I just get up and start moving, it'll be better. And then recently, Sonia and I were talking about confidence and thinking, talking about action, delivering confidence, rather than if I have confidence, then I will go take action. And so I thought about the same way with my alarm. And it was like, I'm exhausted when the alarm goes off. Sorry to interrupt. It's like motivation following action, not the other way around. Like you wait around to get motivated to do something, but you have to actually do the thing in order to get motivated. Huh, there we go. So it's motivated to get out of bed, I suppose. But yeah, exactly the exact same process was, or process, process, where am I? Who am I? If the alarm goes off, it's get up and start moving. Like, don't take the time to think about how you feel because you feel like hell because it's early, right? Just get up and start moving and then you'll be fine. But if you lie there and you think about how tired you are, you're already done. You want to hit the, the snooze. And then, of course, when it comes to sleep, having a repeatable time that you get up ends up being to your benefit. And eventually, if you have that time every single day, you know, basically don't even need an alarm. You just sort of pop out of bed because that's when you get up. I'm not quite there yet, but, but yeah, that's how I get out of bed without a snooze. 
All right. So I'm going to take a quote that Matt said the other day. We're, I don't even know what we were talking about. Unfortunately, it's in this, this list of notes on my phone, but hopefully Matt will remember. But he just said it so well. He said, you can't shelter your kids from the world, but you do have to teach them how to live in it. And I just thought that that was an incredible quote about parenting and something that we we're aspiring to do. Yeah, that's I think we were just talking about our goals as parents. And it, again, with a little kid at this point, there's I'm sure it changes dramatically as your kids get older. But just philosophically, what are you trying to achieve for your kids? And as a financial planner, I see this with parents financially. They want to shelter their kids from the world often. Oh, they're never going to be able to buy a house. They're never going to be able to make retirement. How am I going to make sure I leave enough money for my kids? And then there's those parents that think, I need to find a way to educate my kids so they can live in the world financially, whether it's money, health, you know, sports, bullying, you know, education, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I just think philosophically trying to be conscientious about what we're doing and how we're doing. And as much as parents so far, we want to shelter him from everything we possibly can the littlest thing sometimes it's letting him struggle a little bit to get to to learn how to crawl to Face get a ball plan on the road <laughs> yeah but you know that philosophy will have bigger conversations and maybe bigger outcomes later in his life but i think it starts now it starts on how how are you raising your kids and what do you want for them do you want to protect them and shelter them forever because that's a natural response or do you want to let them out into the world and help them navigate it but knowing they're going to smash their face a few times yeah, growth comes from struggle. And that's what I, that's my like mantra whenever I see him and I just want to jump in and save him. And certainly there is a line, like you don't want to just let them <laughs> annihilate themselves. But in that line is different probably for every single scenario and every single person. But yeah, just keeping that in the forefront of growth comes from struggle. And that's also something I say to myself, if I'm struggling with something, if I feel stuck, if I feel like, gosh, I just can't figure this out. I tell myself, this is good. Because this is me getting better. Like getting better doesn't look easy. Getting better isn't doesn't feel good. Getting better comes from struggle. So that also applies to your kids. It does. And for me, I think of like a math equation and this sort of the concept of learning. And maybe you maybe you people have been in this scenario might be figuring something out at work. It could be math, it could be training. But you have this problem and you try and you can't get it and you get frustrated, and you try again, and you can't get it, and you get frustrated. You leave it for a couple hours, maybe you get a bit more of it, you get frustrated, you come back the next day, you try it again, and just for some reason, something clicks. You've looked at this problem five, 10, 15 times. You've tried and failed, tried and failed, tried and failed. You went back to the problem with no new inspiration, but for some reason, something happened in your brain, and it clicked. So learning happens with repeated effort. But if you don't have a growth mindset, you try once or twice, and you just quit and you don't keep trying. So the concept that even with frustration and failure, showing up again and trying again can yield a different result is a pretty phenomenal outcome. However, you know, doing the same thing and, and expecting a different outcome can be the definition of insanity. But, you know, there, there's obviously a line there too, but trying and not giving up is the key. And that's something you get to watch every single day when you have a baby. Like, it is amazing. It's so cool to get to watch him like, oh, he can sit up now. Oh, look, he's like trying to crawl. Oh, look, he's like all uncoordinated with his limbs trying to like do stuff. And he just keeps going. And I'm, I'm but, so inspired by him. But it's weeks, though. It's not just like it takes him. It's taken him weeks to be able to sit up properly. Like 
wobbling and falling over and falling over backwards and sideways and face planting. And it's taken him weeks from the first time he moved a hand and went on all fours to actually being able to mobile, go mobile. And he's still not perfect at it, but he just doesn't, he doesn't care. He doesn't assign anything to it. He just keeps trying and keeps trying and keeps trying and keeps trying. And yeah, it's, it's really incredible to watch. Yeah, it's really inspiring. Like I just... It's one of my favorite things, and I, f- I feel like a slacker when I'm watching him. I'm like, gosh, like look how hard he's trying. I, sh- I should do something instead of just sit here and watch. That's actually happened now that every time Bradley's on the floor, now he's getting more and more mobile. It's hard for us to actually do, but it's set up some push-ups and stretching and all the things you're like, oh, I just can't sit here and play with him. I have to like engage myself at the same level he is. He's doing planks and rolling over. and <laughs> Yeah, he's, it's calisthenics at our house. All right. So I think that that pretty much covers everything that we wanted to talk about this week. A few things. Somebody asked for some specific information about pelvic floor health during pregnancy and postpartum, and I'm having an expert come on the show to talk about that. And I also want to encourage the men and just people who aren't even interested in pregnancy and postpartum health to listen, because I've been doing a lot of work on my diaphragm, and these were issues I had before I even had a baby of coordinating your diaphragm with the muscles in your pelvis and your your entire core, not having flared ribs. Like There's, there's going to be a bunch of really interesting information that's going to come out on that podcast. So for those of you who have been asking, it's not going to come out in a motherhood series. I wanted to go ask an expert. That way you could get lots of good information, not only as you know, pregnancy and that type of thing but for athletes and specifically about pelvic floor and that's men and women if you have anything that you want us to cover in the next episode please send me an email at sonya at sonyalooney.com or just go to my website sonyalooney.com and go to the contact page and we would absolutely love to hear from you we're always trying to think of things that might be fun and interesting but if you guys could just tell us what you are looking for maybe you don't even know but if something comes up we'd love to hear from you In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you want notifications every single week of a new podcast episode. And I also send out a notification in my weekly newsletter, which you can get at sanyaluni.com slash newsletter. That's it for today. I'm with you on this journey of growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. 